Welcome to the Giant Step Podcast with your host, Maurice Bernstein, as we take you on a journey into music and culture from the world of Giant Step. Hi, and welcome to the Giant Step podcast, where we take you on a journey into music and culture. I'm your host, Morris Bernstein. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Giant Step. And this week's guest is Kamala Elke. Kamala was the founder of Triple Five Soul, the pioneering streetwear company. We talk about how she got into fashion, uh, how she took Triple Five Soul from its humble beginnings into a global company and what she's been doing since Triple Five Soul. The show was originally recorded on February the 26th uh, as an IG Live, so please excuse any sort of like noise glitches or or sound issues, because the content, as usual, is well worth listening to. And if you want to know more about Giant Step, visit us at our website, which is um, giantstep.net. So please enjoy my conversation with Camilla. There she is. Hello. Hello. Hi, Maurice. How are uh, you? I'm good, Camilla. How are you doing? Not bad. How's everyone? Yeah. How's the family? Family is good, thank you. And how's your family? Doing well, considering yeah. these yeah. circumstances. Yeah. Well, it, it's great to see you. And I'm so happy you you, you joined me on this because, um, uh, you know, as we're going to get into it, um, those, those, who, those who know, <clears throat> those who know, know. But those who don't know are going to find out. And I see Pauline from um, from Los Angeles, from Funk Essentials, is Pauline, on. Hi, Pauline. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I want to kind of get straight in it. And I, um, when I announced uh, that you were going to be on, uh, Kevin Lyons, who I who just joined as well, he sent me a really nice text about you, and, and I kind of felt yeah. that that summarize much more eloquently than I can um, uh, about who you are. Uh, so, Kevin, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to directly steal the the text that you sent me about Camilla. So um, he said, Camilla is the mother, the grandmother, the great aunt, the big sister of the whole streetwear legacy. Whoa. Without her little shop on Ludlow, the likes of many brands would not ever have seen the light of day. And her influence on the downtown music scene is underappreciated. Triple Five Soul, half zips, sock hats with a uniform of the acid jazz and hip hop indie scenes. Della, Tribe, Jamalski, Most Def, Diggable. She defined a generation of us and was also present on each and every giant step stage and dance floor. So I thought that was beautiful. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin. and I think that sort of like sets sets it up well um, for for the conversation, because um, I because I want to obviously you know talk about you know the evolution of Triple Five Soul and how we met and what you've been doing since. Uh, but uh, I, I think it's always good to kind of start you know how how you got started, wh- where you grew up, what your influences were. Um, were you even interested in fashion? How how did it come about that you came to New York and, and sort of started this phenomenon? 
Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you, Maurice. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I'd have to say, you know, I've always been interested in sewing. I started sewing at a really young age. My mother taught me how to make stuff. And then when I got into high school, I really got into actually making art. I was into painting and drawing. And then with my use of the sewing machine, I was like, well, I can sew paintings. So I was doing a lot of like mixed media experimental stuff. And I was fortunate enough to have a high school teacher at the time who it was sort of a, like an arts type high school, but she was real into her, her students. So I really lucked out by having like this amazing mentor. And she pushed me constantly to like show my work, put my work together and basically applied me to Parsons and Pratt. She, she sent um, my portfolio. Where did you, where were you growing? Where did you grow up? Yeah. So I was born in Cleveland. I don't know if everyone knows that Cleveland, Ohio, uh, divorced parents. My mom took off um, and moved us to Florida at a fairly young age. And um, we moved around a bunch. So I never really set my roots like with any group or circle of friends. So I guess, you know, just turned to my creativity. I had two like best friends, Joe and Jerome, shout out if you're listening. And we would get together and, and make art together. And then we all ended up in New York City. At a really young age. So I think I was like 18 or something when I had my eyes set on getting to New York. So I took a summer program at Parsons. It's so funny because I even remember I had Tim Gunn as like a teacher. Wow. (laughs) I know. It's funny. But it was interesting because I was so intimidated by the fashion world. Like I was, I didn't really feel like I fit that mold of destined to be a fashion person. It kind of not disgusted me, that's a big word, but it kind of put me off a bit. The, um, Just the, you know, yeah, the status yeah. quo. Right, and actually very similar to, um, you know, my feeling about the established music business as well, um, because they, they, had, they had their establishment, they had their norms, um, and obviously, you know, we were, we were thinking outside the box. When you were growing up, did you have any fashion influences? Were there sort of designers? Um, I mean, yeah. Jean-Paul Gaultier, Issey Miyake, Yoji Yamamoto, all the, all the creatives at the Comme des Garcons. I think she was kind of, yeah, still kind of under the radar. But I really loved like Jean-Paul Gaultier. Anyone super like kind of flashy and eccentric. Right. I adored. <laughs> And um, what about music? Were you were you listening to a type of was music a big influence on you? I mean, definitely. Like as a young person, for sure. I think a lot of it was coming out of London, a little more punk or goth. You know, mm-hmm. definitely like all of that type of music. Again, you know, art student. You know, you know the vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until yeah. I got to New York till I really expanded and like by living in downtown New York in that culture and like finding out about like house music and hip hop like that it was kind of like the early aunts of that in downtown New York yeah so you came to New York and this was what in it was I'm still trying to jog my memory but it was around 88 because I did I did accept the scholarship to I had come to New York prior to do a summer thing. And I lived that's when I went to Parsons and lived in Union Square in like a dorm. So I felt like so cool being so young and like on my own in Union Square. But I went to, I chose Pratt because I could duel in fine art and fashion. So I did that in like 88. And then after a year, I realized it wasn't 
school was like a really hard thing to 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 do. <laughs> but, but you I loved New York. But you loved New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was already working. This is what you and I need to kind of get into and talk about because we met early on, Maurice. But I, I met this woman in the East Village and I was working for her. And I was helping her make things for her store and for the Tower Records flea market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was making my tie hats then. Yeah, and the Tower Records flea market uh, came up last week as well when Richard was talking because he was working for Shin. I don't even remember oh, Shin. No. And, and, it's, and, you know, so that was a very influential flea market back in the day because there weren't yeah. really that many flea. There was the one up in um, Chelsea on a Sunday. That was more antiques. More antiques. Right. But this this was like kind of the only place where you could find these sort of very, you know, young, up-and-coming designers. Um, you know who was there, Maurice? It's so funny. James Debbia and Marianne. Right, and went on to, to open. Right next to them. <laughs> and then they went up to, then they opened Union, and then James opened Supreme, and the, re the rest is history. Yeah, because he, he, his his background was in, in stores, yeah, and his brother um He had Russell. Duffer, right? He brought Russell, Duffer. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really, like, I, we kind of, we knew each other because I would be there selling for this woman I was working with and selling my tie hats. And that was mm -hmm. at the same time I met Pat Fields as well. So Pat Field would send people to me or like wait for me to sew up stuff to put in her store. Because I was like, oh, please, please, please. Do you want to buy my hats, please? <laughs> and and, and when, we, when we were talking uh, earlier this week, we were kind of like trying to work out when we um, – when we met um and i'm pretty positive it was at the the hat shop you were working at in the east village because i used to um uh I, this is before giant step so i would um promote the parties i was doing uh at mk and at nels and i would go around on my rollerblades because it was the quickest way to to do my distribution because I couldn't afford to pay anybody to do it. So I'd do it. They didn't um, have rollerblades then, did they? I had roller skates. You're right. Yes, oh, yeah, you're right. right. I was on roller <laughs> skates. It was pre rollerblades. Jeez. Yes. Yeah. Rollerblades. We had beepers, early maybe. Yeah. We had pagers. I, I didn't even pagers have a pager about that. Yeah. Um, and I remember coming in, I dropped the flies off and you were there and um, you were, were helping in the, in the store, but you also had your, your hats. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember talking to you and um, I don't know how we started talking, but it was like, would you like to maybe sell your hats at my parties? Yes. And and um, that was I, that was really important, Maurice, because I was also selling them at member car wash. Of course. Amanda, Amanda Shear. So the car wash parties and then the trip parties on the top of Mars. Yeah. I was like the club vendor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah. So, um, you know, we did stuff at Cave Canum. It depends yes. on where you're from. Cave Canum, Cave Canum. So that was like uh, First Avenue, right? Yeah. 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 Like yeah. an old bathhouse. Roman bathhouse. They, they, would, they would serve... Uh, ancient Roman food, and there was there was a bathhouse in the basement, and I don't think anybody ever ate there, but there was lots, lots of debauchery going on. Um, yes, of course. And we did Bond Street, 
Um, an MK, which we an were MK. talking about. Right. And, which you and don't even remember. I'm like, I, I used to see Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio there. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, so I, I used to do Thursday nights at MK, and I'd have the, the ground floor, and I, I would put on live music. That was my shtick that I would bring yeah. live music. In the basement was a DJ called Adrian B. Skinny Bones, who oh, later changed his name yes. to Stretch. Stretch yes. Armstrong, yeah. Oh my God, and, Stretch, if you're listening, skinny bones. Uh, and, and Adrian B, you know, like, and um, and we did a fashion show together. I think, and and I think already by then you were you were you'd had your clothes on the cover of Paper magazine, mm -hmm. and yeah. Oh my God! Speaking of paper, I just pulled out. I'm in the midst of um, compiling my archives. I just found this one. Wow, Della. So that was, that was, I mean, was that sort of like, was that like the pivotal, a, a, a pivotal moment for you where your yeah. clothes were being? For sure, for sure. I mean, we're jumping a little bit in the history, right. the, the archive yeah. in the history, yeah. but for sure. I remember having my store on Ludlow and like, basically it was just a whole tribe of my friends hanging out who knew about it. But eventually friends would be like oh i saw a tie hat on someone we didn't know you know like in the club like right right and like, then, how did that happen <laughs> yeah because it was kind of like i was making clothes for all my friends right who were artists or eventually some of your artists or djs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're like sure i'll come by and get some clothes you know i'm performing tonight at wetlands or you know i'm gonna MC this party at sobs or i think it was like right when soul kitchen started as well but you know, downtown New York was like extra, extra fun. So, but I mean, I, I think, you know, you, I, I feel that you were a pioneer um, and we'll kind of keep, I'll keep repeating that as we go through your story, but people need to understand that back in, and what year did the store open on Ludlow? Was it? 89. So back in 1980. I left school and decided to open a store because I was living in the store. So back in 1989, Ludlow, Ludlow and Stanton, which was where the street, where the store was, was not a very nice neighborhood. You know, now they have that a cell phone house. Dodgy. dodgy. I mean, it, I mean, you know, you were either in, you were in that neighborhood for two reasons. Either you were, we were going to see you or people were basically looking for so hard drugs. I mean, it was a, and you were this young woman who had this store and you know we're, we're like you were in the middle and you were you were like the first there really um back well then. there was lots of families there and neighbors right but it was but, definitely but this constant yeah, yeah it was a constant like dominican puerto rican battle of turf right you know but, it was downtown new york city it was it was definitely a different place Right. And and you were living there as well. For Correct. A while. Yeah. And so it was a store in the front, curtain, uh, apartment in the back, tenement yep. housing. Yeah. Bathtub in the kitchen, chain, I light bulb. Yep. I remember when I left, I um I told the real estate person, um, can I get like a hotel style bathroom and light switches? <laughs> she looked at me like, What? <laughs> And, um, you know, the, the thing I remember about that store was you were like a magnet for the creatives 
who were happening in downtown New York at that time. You you would go into your store and you'd have your friends hanging out there. You'd be working, you'd be at the sewing machine and you'd have other people sort of doing stuff and designing stuff, people like Eben and- but you, recruiting friends constantly. You, were, you had friends, but, but it was like, Nappy, I think Nappy G was working there. Um, and, you know, and it, it, it was really like a, a center. And then this sort of like, you you really were capturing what I think the zeitgeist of what was happening at the time, um, and um, you know uh, attracting you know the fact that the native tongues and the Daisy Age hip hop artists were being drawn to your fashion uh, and the graffiti artists and it was just a very interesting melting pot. Yeah, I mean, again, like I mentioned, it was like a tribe of us, right? Like it was a whole community of friends that were all creative. David Ellis just joined. so Hello, squirm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was kind of like a time when if you knew about it, you knew about it, right? It was like this inner circle. I mean, it was downtown New York culture. It's so hard to explain and convey without sounding like, yeah, it was one big party. It was so much fun. But it was like work was fun. Making it, making my fashion was fun. I would recruit friends. We'd get 40 ounces. We would put up speakers in the backyard, like Kiom Hi-Fi parties. They'd bring in the speakers. We'd have a mic. I would be sewing labels and sweatshirts. It, when I wanted to sell T-shirts and sweatshirts, all my friends were making them. So I sold those in the store alongside of my clothing. It was It was a pretty beautiful time. And we yeah, didn't but, really have any of that then, you know. But, you know, the important thing is you were working very hard. You, you, It wasn't just about sort of having fun and, you know, hanging out. You guys were working and being creative. It was like we were all yeah. on this very um, – we were all like – because a lot of us had come to New York to try and do something, and we weren't going to just sit on our asses. And like, so, and I, and I really felt you, you guys were uh, the sort of like the hub – the hub of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't feel like I was working hard, but I guess in retrospect, I was working hard. But work was like my life and happiness, as it as I still like to make it that way, you know. Yeah, and I, and you know, it was I, you know, I, I really enjoyed um, the fact that we got to collaborate a lot together in the early years, you know, and you know, it, it, as as we started like expanding Giant Step and taking the party on the road mm-hmm. <clears throat> to different cities, whether it was. Uh, Chicago, uh, Boston, DC, Los Angeles. We we would also try and bring. Uh, oh my God, those parties were so yeah. good. Yeah, we um, could have we could have serious business. I mean, our our business model back then, Maurice, is pretty genius if you think about it. All the fashion shows and parties that we did, like to do a fashion show at a club, like that was that was like the way we did it, you know. I remember that Boston one. That was like Massive Attack, right? They brought those yep. giant speakers. I think they had like a truckload of sound system. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> LA, yep. remember when like we had like EasyJet or some cheap flights and we bought like 20 tickets and we all went yep. to yep. LA. Shout yep. out to Julie and Pauline yep. at the LA store. And And I think Julie said that's how she met you, right? Is that? She, you know, I think it, she met me when I was living in my store, I think with Chelsea. And that also another big moment was when I met Ali Asher, who was one of the founders of Shut Skates. And the whole skate world was like happening downtown as well. And so there was like all these 
genres of of us converging but he was like oh you know if you're going to be making these hats you got to have a logo like i didn't even really know what a logo was oh. like i wasn't thinking in the box of like as a graphic designer i was more just you know sewing and making fashion so he basically was like make me a couple crown and tie hats and i'll give you some logos and that's the original roman numeral logo is all oh. the super talented yes. never knew that i never yeah. knew that digging wow. digging in the archives all of this is oral history you know which right. is kind of pretty incredible as well to compile a history of 30 years plus and nothing's on the internet yeah i i think you you hit on a very important point how um you know it, you either knew or you didn't know and if you knew then you had these things that were magnets that drew you towards the the different culture that was happening you know you had your store you had our club you had you know the um the different graffiti artists but you know how people found out about these things i think is very interesting because it you know you you have to be a very inquisitive and thirsty person for knowledge to have done the work to do it because it was much easier just you could be living in new york Mm-hmm. Or you, many people were living in New York and had no idea about you guys um, up until you know you guys became a lot more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to be brave too, right? Yeah, to venture down to Low Street below Stanton. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, unless I was doing any like marketing or promotion, like when I was, you know, asking Pat Fields to sell my hats, that sort of thing. It's interesting how people found out about it because I remember to this day one of my first wholesale accounts was this Japanese guy from Osaka and he would come into my store with like a bottle of whiskey and he would literally just hang out and drink and hang out and he'd have a suitcase and he would wait for me to sew up my tie hats to take back to his shop and like that's like so raw and amazing if you think about it like Japan then was just like I mean it's still incredible right but for for people to like love the downtown New York culture and find out about it and find me is amazing same thing uh with Pass that was probably another big moment in history for me for him to come out from Long Island and find my store and have me custom make stuff for him so, so that, he was great still, and that's the last soul you're talking about right yeah. right so so was that sort of like you showed us the cover of paper magazine? So Delasol wearing Triple Five Soul, that wasn't something that they weren't stylized in that by paper. That was no. them wearing the clothes because they sought you out yeah. and they 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 loved the clothes. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think they had so many stylists. I mean, they had stylists. I remember Stella used to style for them, like the editorial. But at that time, we all had our own sense of style, right? Like street, that's kind of what streetwear was or has kind of become, right? But the thing about the Triple Five Soul clothing is you can kind of express yourself in your own way. I mean, it kind of stood out, right? Because I had all Mm -hmm. these crazy stripy hoodies and hats, which made for, you know, for DJs and artists to wear it. It looked great. You know? De- it was definitely unique and original. Um, and I remember um, Paper Magazine uh, did a collaboration with Benetton. Um, and oh they did God. a yes. big pullout called the Tribes of New York. And there were all these different tribes. And they asked you to put together 
your yes. tribe for the photograph. And I don't know if you still have a copy of that Benetton. Yes. I, we've got so to buy you know there. what, though, Maurice, that was actually the first issue of Colors. And I oh. think they had reached out to paper to Kim and David. To help uh, them with it. For oh. the voice. And remember, Tuscany, he photographed us. And I was so smitten. I was like, oh, my God. Amazing. And he loved us. And he also shot a few other tribes of new york because mm-hmm. right? i remember mm-hmm. he did do the pet fields mm-hmm. kind of voguing mm-hmm. crew yeah yeah and in that shoot it was like bobito maybe rich medina in our shoot a, for, for in ours you it, no, it was it was eben um it was eben my art director of latasha i think latasha natasha diggs um uh wasn't Bobito in it? Uh, uh, sung, sung along, sung along, um, sung, sung. Nation. Yeah, um, and you. Um, yeah, I think that, that was, was it. Yeah, but it what Bob and the colors I don't was think, amazing. Yeah, was like, yeah. I mean, that's something also I'm kind of exploring and taking a look at as I compile the the history. But the the fact that we had not only did we have independent record labels, but we had all these amazing independent magazines. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. That's like a very special moment in time when we had, you know, even before like Source and Vibe, like mm-hmm. details, paper, like it was pretty cool. Like Stress Magazine, Straight from the Lip out in L.A. Straight from the Lip, Herb. yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. sort of connected us as well, right? Because mm-hmm. we were all kind of quickly getting interwoven with the West Coast. And that's when Correct. like the whole East Coast, West Coast thing kind of started to kick in too in the hip hop world. Yeah, and we, we all loved each other and they, they were all having beefs with each other. But it, right. but it, re- <laughs> but it really was, um, you know, it was about finding your network. Now you can do it on social media by finding your friends and your, you know, by common taste. But we literally, it was handcrafted back then. In, and it wasn't, wasn't even like there was that many people to choose from. So, you know, when <laughs> we'd go to LA, it's like, there's a store Funk Essentials. And it's kind Yay. of like the exact, it's, it's, it's like, it's like a home away from home and mm-hmm. there's a magazine called urban there's a club called brass and fresh jive and brass, fresh jive orlando yeah. oh my yeah. god yeah yeah con art and, and who are some of the other sort of like early streetwear brands that you you, you know that you were you you were play, yeah. were in your sort of field at the time well PNB Nation was like really important. They they definitely are so relevant now to this day. The Hello, My Name Is t-shirts that they did mm-hmm. um, about police brutality. Um, those guys I thought were always like my favorite. Um, Stash Futura, they were doing the GFS. Yeah. Guaranteed Fresh Smoke, the Philly Blunt. So we had yep. the Philly Blunt tie hat. And mm-hmm. Then along the way came Jeff Staple. He was just a kid. He'd bike up and hang out in the store. And then when he started making T-shirts, so basically all of these guys, I was selling their T-shirts in my store to go alongside my stuff. I wasn't really doing graphics as of yet. I was focused on just cutting and sewing my product. And uh, Kevin just said the first, you were the first store to carry SSUR as well. Oh, and Russ as well. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, two black guys out of Toronto. Um, yeah, it's, it, it was a great moment. And a lot of those guys also would repaint my store. So it was like this canvas, the gate out front and then the interior. Again, we get our little 40 ounces, well, big 40 ounces mm-hmm. and have a party. So mm-hmm. it'd be like a kind of graffiti party slash sewing party 
because my sewing machine was right in the store. You're, yeah, you were always behind it. And uh, just just Raoul from um, from London just joined. So hey, he's Raoul. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, he came later in the picture. Yeah. yeah. Reminisce yeah. in the early 90s still. So, so also, um, do you remember Rico as well? Rico was also really important. So Rico, yeah. actually, she was doing, um, when Yo! MTV Raps launched, she was doing the Japan side of it and she was a good friend of mine so she also brought in like the she brought a lot of the new york people to me even though they knew about me but like she brought fat five freddy to my store a few times she brought tribe to my store and she, and uh, mc light i remember so she was also like a really important player in all of this yes yeah, so, bringing, so you, bringing our our crew to japan you know what i mean Right. Yeah. There, there were these connectors. Um, you know, we had the same thing for music and, and the brand started growing. You started um, selling outside the store as well. You started distributing. Where were some of the, the first sort of places that you besides Japan, where the, the guy had come with a suitcase full of, you know, to. Yeah, Pat, I know. Pat Fields. <laughs> there was a store called Detente in Soho. Mm -hmm. Liquid Sky, Carlos, man. That was great. And then slowly some bigger stores kind of trickled in, which I was very reluctant and just not so sure. But, you know, across the United States, like there'd be a store in Chicago or there'd be a store in Detroit or Philly. Again, through these like veins or roots yeah. of, again, friends through you or through another mm -hmm. friend. It was all like, oh, check out my friend. He's got, she's, you know, Don Pervert in Miami. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then we'd all get in. I mean, you were always kind of in that picture as well. We'd do a party, do a fashion show at the party, mm -hmm. sell the stuff at the store, have a party at the store. And, 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 you know, things started growing. And, you know, going back to the fact that, you know, I consider you a pioneer, you know, you, you had this store in Ludlow. And then when you moved out to it, you didn't, you moved your operation to a far off place called Williamsburg. Which well, no, 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 no. I oh, moved go, to, go. no, I basically was in over my head on Ludlow Street, kind of right. over it halfway. Yeah. I don't know, four years, five years into it, I think. And I moved to Mott Street, 262 oh, Mott Street. Okay. And that's where GFS was, where Stash Vichora, um, Shuts Gates actually had their inventory in the basement. Iggy Pop was there. It was like an epic building. And within that month, I found my space on Lafayette Street. So which, I had opened Lafayette Street, which was like kind of a no man's land at the it time. It was a Jay total. Was like you, just opened. You had the uh, you had the Haring Pop Shop. Yep, um, I was good and, friends with Adolfo yeah. next door, and then and that, Supreme. That was it. Yeah, no, Supreme was there. Yeah, Jameson just opened, so it's right. And right. Um, but he was never at the store really. You know, it was mm -hmm. like Pookie. That's when I met Pookie, um, Shady, David Press, Yuquan. So the early Supreme tribe. And then, yeah, I was in my store. I had to make sure I was definitely in my store, but then I was getting really in demand in terms of just expanding the business. So I would go on the weekends and DJ. And I DJ Cute, if I remember correctly. Yes, right? that's right. <laughs> DJ Cute, uh, named by Bobito. I remember doing when APT had opened the first week. I DJed and I was so nervous, but I was so excited because I had all of this stuff from like, London that I brought back because I was going to London as well because I had the store in London. Had the store when in did, LA. When did when did the store in London open? It opened after the LA store. So the LA store was I don't know. Julie, chime in if you're listening. But like ninety 
three. And then London was and where was, where was it in L.A.? Where was it in L.A.? It was uh, Martell and Beverly, Hollywood, West Hollywood. Again, so uh, Union was over there on Beverly. Yeah. So like James and Eddie were always in our cipher and Julie had her own whole massive tribe of friends too. And Not she did Julie the same saying thing. 92. There you go. <laughs> and I saw Pablo Candela too is on the feed and mm -hmm. he asked about Tokion. How can I forget about Adam? So Tokion magazine was another amazing, you know, small run magazine. And and what year did London open? And that was in Camden, if I'm if I'm yeah, with that. Sophie Stewart. Um, that came like shortly after, like ninety three, ninety four. So we and were going to London you, a lot too. And is that where you met Hassan? I knew Hassan through Zach when Zach was living above Empire Management. And that's how Gangstar also premier and guru used to come to the shop all the time. Patrick Moxie. Mm -hmm. So again, the music. I mean, we haven't fully gotten into it, but the the music culture was like deeply woven into Triple Five Soul. No, sure. very, very, very much so. Very, very more much more important so. than the fashion yeah. side of it. I'd, yeah, I'd well, say it governed well, talk, us. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that because um, you know we had the music in the early years, but also that that continued. So, talk about how music was woven into the brand and some of those people and experiences. Yeah. Well, you know, early on, like I mentioned, like, you know, all the clubs, we were all part of the clubs. If, if my, you know, a lot of my friends were DJs or MCs. So people were looking to like kind of dress up a bit. So it was just kind of connected like that. I mean, the DJ culture was always like really important to me and always, you know, around me. I mean, your parties were like amazing, Maurice, like. If you, I look going through your archives, looking at all your flyers, I'm just like, oh my god, we had so many great parties. I mean, from we like Femi Kuti yeah. to mm -hmm. all the Gil Scott Heron ones, Ugh, Bootsy. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen so many incredible artists because of you. It's pretty Thank awesome. You. The summer um, stage parties. Let's yeah. Not oh forget. yeah. Oh yeah. Our Miami, the the giant steps rooftop. Giles oh yeah. Peterson. Yeah, uh, it's all good. Um, the you know you you were literally handcrafting all the clothes, and then it gets to the point where you physically can't do it all yourself. Talk about how you kind of scaled that that process and and mm -hmm. the sort of trust giving it to other people to do for you, and because mm -hmm. it's all about you know growing and scaling. You can't, you, you can't be just a one you know. One man, one girl yeah, show. Yeah. I basically, being on Ludlow and the Lori side, I met these women who were doing small room production out of their apartments and then out of like basement storefront places. So I basically would cut all my hoodies and hats and give them piecework to do. So I was just, I was working with local ladies pretty much. And then um, as it grew, I met this gentleman, uh, Jeff Tweedy. He was actually working for Spike Lee doing 40 yep. Acres and a Mule. And he used to come into the store super impressed and just like, oh, this is great. He's like, you got to get your shit together. And basically gave me the name of a factory in Chinatown when we used to have factories there. So this guy took me in and he was, you know, it kind of worked to my advantage being a woman and also being so young and kind of funky, I guess, you know, I, I just worked. It worked in a sense where these people would be like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? I guess that goes back to the working hard ethic. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. that I didn't know I was doing, but I was, yeah, definitely hustling. But, you know, he took me on. And at that point, it was just like I was ordering like thousands and thousands of dollars in fabric to like meet orders for stores in Japan, for, for stores throughout the country. And it was, it was a lot. I kind of got in over my head at one point. And that's when I partnered with Troy after I had opened my store on Lafayette. And again, he was kind of like, Oh, you got to get your shit together. I feel like all these men have come in my life. Like you got to get your shit together. Your company is amazing here. Call this person, do this person. But I had already opened Lafayette street again, off the strength of friends, helping me and pulling together and making it happen. And then when I partnered with Troy, he was, um, you know, he took it to like another level, like to the next level of like production. And that's when we started going out to magic. Right. I was going to, I was going to talk about that because I mean, the, the, the trade, sh- the, the street where right. trade show phenomena, which was huge. I mean, mm-hmm. I, do, do they still exist? I, I, don't, I don't even know. I don't know. But, yeah. But, but we, I mean, we had the giant too, step line as well, um, you know. Yeah. So t- talk a little bit about that experience because those things were very, very important. Yeah. Well, I remember I was kind of like by a few friends, I'm not going to name, drop, but, that, you know, I, they kind of frowned upon it. Like I was kind of, you know, in our time, it wasn't cool to expand or make money or like, you know, all our, right. like yeah. we were just concerned about being cool and it yeah. definitely isn't like what it is now to like get paid and make money but um they kind of thought I was a little sellout-ish by going to magic but then I had like ASR to balance it out with which was like a cool kind of surf skate show but it was a I thought it was a fun hustle because there was also like people like Colin Sutton they did that was it wait was it a, not ASR but there was one an off spinoff from it I forget the name it was out in San Diego but again, it was like, you know, the the smaller mom and pop businesses doing so, it. Um, Ian Nice is on, and he said uh, four twenty four thirty two f. Yeah, yeah. Thank and it's you, funny. Ian. I I wish yeah. I was sitting by, but I have this amazing painting that um, when Stash, Sir, and and I sub and Stash had subwear at the time. We did a booth together at four thirty two f in Futura took one of his paintings and basically did a stripe across it and made a sign. I'll post it so people can see. It's like pretty incredible. And, um, you know, I, you know, we, we got into sort of like streetwear for a, for a quick minute, um, which seemed like a very good idea at the time because our t-shirts were doing well until I got into the business and we had no idea how the business works. So we go to the, these trade shows we get all these orders uh, and then they, the team would come back and they go, oh, we got $200,000 worth of orders. I go, congratulations. Oh They're like, well, now you need to come up with a hundred grand to make everything. And I, yes, <laughs> exactly. You know, so, so how did you, I mean, oh, as a, how did you cope with that? I mean, so I was hard. like, we're getting out of this business and we kind of focused like, on our meeting. I would come up with $35,000 right. to buy fabric on, so right. I would get deposits from people. But so you were you were robbing struggle. Peter. You were literally robbing Peter to pay Paul in order no. to, to yeah. I wasn't well, robbing anyone. No, but you know what I mean. You were yeah, you were yeah, getting yeah. a deposit and then yeah. using that deposit to probably make fulfill an order for somebody else and then getting an order. Yeah, for, yeah. and it yeah. was a bunch of little like kind of broke ass stores like mine. Like we were all just 
but I was figuring it out as I went along. Like we didn't have seasons, you know, it'd be like cold out. And I'm like, okay, let's get some wool and make some like sweaters or let's make a sweater. And then I would find a manufacturer to help me do it. And also in those days, I mean, it, it wasn't easy to, you know, get credit cards with, with the amount, you know, to be able to put it on a credit card, even right. get a bank loan. I mean, <laughs> We couldn't rent cars in LA for sure. No, it was very hard. It was very hard to get money back then. I just remember it was, and for sure, sometimes you couldn't even get money from a cash uh, machine in a different state because it wouldn't take your card because it was from a New York bank. Right. Um, Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I had cheap. I mean, in the Lizzo days, it was very affordable to be an artist right my right. rent was like five hundred dollars again the landlord would always let me slide or be late on the rent type thing i mean to make a few sales to like buy more material that was my goal run around the corner and get more fabric and you know uh, i i kind of pre I, I got a little ahead of myself but i wanted to talk about you know you again being one of the first people to go into williamsburg and set up your operation that was interesting because I mean Williamsburg was is so close, but we were all in Manhattan. It, it was it was like another world. Why would you want yeah. to go there? And I think you were on Berry Street, right? We were on yeah. So when I opened the Lafayette store, that's when um, I met Troy, and he had stepped to me like, "Let me partner with you. Let me help you take this to the next level. Come see me." He was like Long Island City, and then when we partnered, we opened up an office in Berry. Well, on Berry. Yeah. So there was like no one, there was like, there was a record label. I'm forgetting the name if anyone remembers, but that's how I met. Like, um, oh, I'm blanking. I'll get back to you. But there was a small record label. It was right next to um, Brooklyn Brewery. But yeah, we, it was space, right? We had like a 10,000 square foot loft. It was huge. And, and didn't you have some uh, sort of scruffy kids from uh, Canada uh, set up in your office as well. They came when we moved to White. So the re- the big reveal is the Vice magazine guys. So Shane Correct. and Saroosh yeah. were friends of mine because, again, that was another friends had a small store in uh, Montreal. Shane had yeah. actually flown, flown me to Montreal to hang out. And he was like doing his whole punk phase at the time and had a store. But he was my Canadian distributor the vice guys. So they, when they set up in New York, they took a corner office. Yeah. That's how I met like Ben Dietz as well. And mm-hmm. yeah. shout out to vice magazine, <laughs> vice magazine, vice, vice media. Vice, vice <laughs> <global>. <laughs> no, we'll keep it. We'll keep it old school. Yeah. Vice magazine. Black and yeah, white magazine. Yeah. 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 It was super naughty too. Remember? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, t- I mean, it was totally, you know, it's kind like, of trashy yeah. actually. I was I, like, oh, I, I mean, I yeah, my, my early memory of, of a vice party was just basically, you know, somebody throwing up in the corner, you know, like, it, was like, like, <laughs> it was a good party though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after Barry, you went to wife, right? We expanded yeah. some more and had it at that point. It was like the height of yeah exposure and like that's when i had three stores in japan the london store was still going la store was still going i think and um distribution was definitely international we had people in sweden like we had people everywhere at that point i i think you know uh, another thing you know you 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 had this global distribution talk a little bit about sort of what i call the uh, uh, homogenization of sort of like 
global fashion, the way that streetwear, it just it became it became everywhere. You you would find it all over the world. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that and, and how you think that came about, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think then, it, it, I mean, in the first five years, it probably wasn't even called streetwear, right? I mean, hip hop wasn't even on the radio then, right? It was just this downtown kind of mashup, mix up of music and types of people, right? It was like when mm-hmm. house music was still popular. And there was and house was and hip hop as well. I mean, like Jungle yeah. Brothers, Girl I'll House You was a hip hop band doing a house. Yeah, song, you know. very pivotal. De- uh, Delight opening up for Jungle Brothers at like Hotel Amazon. Mm-hmm. We'd go to Save the Robots, the world. I remember I, I actually before living on the though, I remember uh, living in an apartment across from the world. I love the world. I loved it. it. That was my favorite club. Yeah. That was Um, so good. I used to go there. We're jumping around, but it's like, oh, man, the memories just keep coming. (laughs) Three nights a week. Thursday night was Dave Piccioni. I'm going to get it wrong, but the three DJs were Dave Piccioni from Black Market, Frankie Knuckles, and David Morales. Exactly. And it was like... Yeah. And you could keep and, going and save the robots around the corner. And then, and then when it finished, <laughs> you'd go around the corner to save the robots. Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, my God. <laughs> it's so it's just so interesting how music and the club culture is so woven into like what our business was, right? Yeah, like I was yeah. definitely probably just as focused on that as I was maintaining my business. Right, but you you maintained it and you grew it. Um, you yeah. know, because I think there's there are. You know, it's a lot of fun, this whole sort of the, the, this culture, but there are also a lot yeah. of pitfalls as well. Um, and yeah. you, you, you know, you kept your eye, you kept very focused uh, on what you were trying to do. Whereas, you know, un- unfortunately, some people, you know, you get got caught up in the the sort of the whole sort of glamour of because it's yeah. going out is fun, you know. I mean, it's a fine line, right? Like when friends were kind of saying, oh, that's such a sellout thing to do, like to go out to Vegas, to expand to the trade shows. But then with that came like, well, I'm going to bring my friend Mark Ronson to DJ in my Japan store or Stretch Armstrong or like, you know, a whole hip hop band, like, or bring Rocksteady crew to come perform at my fashion shows. So with that, it's like, you know, the expansion, I kept it fun and I kept it real. Like, again, it was still within our tribe and our community, like bringing together this whole energy, right? That, that I, you know, I never really got up on a stage or in an interview and said, me, 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 me. I always kind of made it like an us, a we, a community type thing, because I feel like that's what it was always. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like a, a, a strong tide lifts all boats. So, by yeah. you having success, you brought a lot of people up with you and, and gave them the, you know, gave them opportunities, you know, definitely. Um, you know, and, and talking about sort of like the, the sort of like that, that next phase, you know, in the late 80s, it was sort of De La Soul. And then in the sort of like the mid 1990s, it was most deaf that was really like wearing a lot of your clothes, you know. And yeah, well, again, the small record labels, right? Raucous Records was like epic, right? right. Raucous Records, again, friends running this cool company that, you know, I think Raucous was doing like all my street teaming, which was like, go put stencils and stickers up everywhere. We didn't have Instagram, remember? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I had Brian on um, about three weeks ago as my guest. Oh, so nice. uh, yeah, he's doing good. He's in he's in LA, um, and awesome. uh, I think and we, we also had Lyris's Lounge too, right? David right. Castro. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, so there was all these small like independent brands, if you you know, to describe them as like record labels, magazines, and we all kind of supported each other. And even when they got bigger, like Source Magazine, Vibe Magazine, you know, we sort of, things sort of started branching. But I feel like um, I always kind of just stuck to like what I did. And people wanted to call it streetwear. People wanted to call it urban, you know. So it was always like, to me, in my opinion, just like this whole downtown New York kind of culture, right? And lifestyle and international, you know, like we just, it was, yeah, it was a whole tribe of us. And and did your mainly your influence came from New York or as you expanded and you traveled more, were you then getting influences from other places that you were um, in? Yeah, I think it was always rooted in downtown New York for sure. I mean, Japan definitely was definitely like subscribing to New York culture, which I always kind of found interesting because I was so obsessed with Japanese culture. But they loved what we were about in downtown New York. I mean, for like Crazy Legs and Tony Touch and artists like that to go over there or Stretch to go over there, like that was just like it for them. And uh, Julie just said sort of first female of streetwear. And that that brings up (laughs) a, a question. How was it being a woman in this field, which is, I would say, mainly dominated by men? All men. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how, how was that for you? I mean, you know, you're, I know. You're, I don't know. I think about it now and I'm like, I just kind of rolled with it. Like a lot of my friends at the time were men. I mean, I had my girls close to me always at my side. There was only a few other artists, musicians and designers also doing it. There, there was only a handful of us women. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I never really let it never really got in my way. I never really had to utilize it or work it. If anything, just the creative angle always worked for me and maybe my age and being so energetic and positive about like what I'm doing. But you also, you also have to be very determined and, and tough as well sometimes in order to, you know, because <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot of mansplaining going on a lot of the time with you. Um, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, there was definitely moments like, you know, again, I'm, Thinking back on this oral history, like, cra- yeah, definitely some crazy times up in the clubs, definitely crazy times dealing with, like, uh, record label industry people. I mean, I remember things like, like, Puffy was, like, a stylist at Uptown Records. He would come into the store, and I was so, like, curious, just like, what? You know, and then to be making stuff for, like, Joe to see and Mary J. Blige, like, that was just, like, a amazing to me because it again the music was just so like a part of what i loved you know so um it, i mean is there anything else you want to talk about with with triple five songs i'd love to get on with um you know so what you've been doing since because you've been doing amazing stuff since as well so any, anything you want to add um, um no do we have any questions <laughs> well i mean i will i want to i want to talk to you you know so you you know you 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 left triple five soul and you opened up this beautiful airbnb yeah. um up, up 
uh, well, uh, up in the, the Catskills, which again, kind of a little bit, I would say before your time, a pioneer yeah. doing that. Um, yeah, after, you know, I, I just wanted to depart ways, like from the partner I had at the time, just things were getting a little out of control, mm-hmm. a little toxic, and I just kind of maybe got a little burnt from the growth sure. of the business yeah. and the direction, and we kind of lost sight of what I believed in, which was community, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'd love to have had Triple Five Soul Sounds, Triple Five Soul Cafe, and there was always, like, these brick walls in front of me, like, why, you know? Mm-hmm. but why? And I'm like, because we have to, you know? And so when I parted ways, like in 2001 or two or something like this, almost 20 years, um, I went on to just make my art and like get back to the sewing machine. And I did a show down at, um, what is it? Art Basel, that one of the first Art Basels, like a group show with some of our painter crew. And that was fun. And then I started taking on projects like, you know, like home goods stuff or interior stuff. And then I decided I wanted a family. So I, yeah, made made two amazing kids. And at the same time, of course, because maybe I do like to work and go crazy while I was pregnant, opened, um, bought a property upstate in the Catskills thinking, oh, we could raise our kids in the country. And we opened a bed and breakfast. There wasn't even Airbnb at the time. Right. And and decided to open a cafe over here in Fort Greene. <laughs> like a pop-up cafe. It was cool. and, and, the, and, and the bed and breakfast was called the Breathe In, right? Breathe Which is in. a great name. Great name. Yeah. So it was like <laughs> it was Brooklyn's country house. And again, I love this idea of just bringing the community to me. So it was everyone's country house, you know. Yeah. So I met a lot of great people and all my friends would come up and it was a great place to raise uh, the babies. So we were coming back and forth. I'm still in my same place 20 years now in Fort Greene. Again, you were one of the first people in, well, not the first, but like, you know, moving to that neighborhood. And now that neighborhood is like, you know, I know. Uh, you know, it's a whole it's other level. Crazy. Now. A whole other level. Yeah. I mean, well, I went to Pratt in the 80s. So it was kind of incredible that, I, the you know, a friend of mine's like, well, I, I have this brownstone in Fort Greene, come take a look at it. And of course I walked in and was just like in love, but I was looking to, to purchase, um, yeah, to buy property when, when things were like going really well for me. And I had yeah. the option to do Soho, which at that time was just getting so disgusting and like yeah. so commercial. I was like, Oh, I'll give it a try. And again, I brought the community to me. So I put in the turntables mm-hmm. and then Evan and I would throw dinner parties and dance parties and, the rest and was garden parties and yeah, all of yeah, it yeah. still happening. Once we get yeah. out of COVID, yeah, everyone's invited. And um, t- tell us a little bit about, if, if you don't mind, if you are open to it, about your new, your new venture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, um, during co- well prior to COVID, I've always uh, been dabbling with like, what should I do? You know, and I know I love sitting and sewing and making things, so I was doing a lot of one-off things. And then I thought it would be interesting to do a brand that, again, that was community driven, could build some, you know, awareness and connect people on that level. So I started a, a small company called Good Good Community. And then the, the pandemic hit. So I was like, oh, let me just start making masks for everyone. Everyone's going to need them. I knew about the whole mask thing by going to Japan all these years. Um, so I basically started sewing and making masks for all my friends and neighbors. And then turn it into a little business. And then it was a perfect jump off for me to get my blankets going. Cause I really love the idea of park culture 
and people, you know, gathering outdoors together. So I've been making quilts and blankets. And, and where can people find these? Um, they're going to be on my website soon. Um, right now, I think, you know, all the collaborations I did with some art collectives and some friends um, for the masks, but that I've kind of, you know, stopped making unless people, you know, reach out and need some stuff. But um, I'd say for spring, it'll drop. And then my plan is to approach um, friends, companies and brands to get their dead stock material, because that's what I was doing with the masks. I don't really want to purchase new material. I don't think we need it which is why yeah, I've been kind of yeah. reluctant to start a fashion brand. I just don't mm -hmm. think this planet needs it or we can sustain it. So yeah. I know people have tons of dead stock fabric and even garments and just to like upcycle it and re-sew it into new, new things or bespoke things that people have for a long time. That's, that's kind of my plan. That's, that's awesome. I, I can't wait to start seeing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to, uh, to have some hangs again as well. Um, yeah. Right. It's it's there. It's we're, we're almost out of time, uh, and we get cut off exactly on the point. So, is there is there anything else you wanna you wanna add? I mean, this has been amazing catching. No, I mean I'm loving going through your archives. It's been so awesome. The photos and just the memories of the parties you've done, Maurice. You're like definitely a pioneer in the music world, and you you meant a lot to my brand and us as a. And vice whole. versa. I mean, we kind of pulled each other up by the bootstraps. Yeah. You know Not I mean? even knowing like, it. Yes, well, exactly. We fun dancing yeah, the yeah, dance yeah, floor. yeah, yeah, yeah. All it's the sneakers. Been great. Yeah. Totally. Well, thank you, thank you thank so you. much, Kamala, uh, for joining. It's really been awesome. Um, Want to let everyone know that we're going to be back again next week, Friday uh, at five p.m. Uh, and we're going to have uh, Giles Peterson joining me. Oh, uh, so we're going nice. to be uh, talking to him about what he's been up to. And uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And please visit uh, giantstep.net slash the vault. And you'll see some great pictures of Kamala from back in the day. And um, yeah, that's it. Stay I safe, everyone. Peterson. Nice. Have a great weekend. Bye, Stay everyone. safe. Bye. Take care. Thank Bye. you for joining. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Giant Step Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Giant Step. Music is by Sinego. Please also visit our website, giantstep.net, to learn more about our award-winning marketing agency.